Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the second Sunday in Lent, A Better Place. Keith was starting a new life and leaving the old one behind. He had a rough life in his short 18 years of living, growing up in the inner city of Detroit, where he was forced to join a gang that sold drugs, recruiting kids to do their dirty work. He illegally carried a gun every day for protection from the other gangs. Keith was no Hollywood wannabe or suburban rap upstart with no street cred. He was the real deal and could rap off the cuff about a life that would horrify even the hardest of men in the hardest of times. I met him my first week in basic training in the army and he quickly became my steadfast friend. The day we became the closest was when I asked him if he ever had to kill anyone with his gun a reality we all had to struggle with since we were being trained how to most efficiently kill another human being. I was having a hard time with that reality and asked Keith if he ever had to kill someone, hoping he could help me understand it better before I was faced with such a horrible reality. He looked at me with an unbelievable sorrow in his eyes eyes that communicated the incredible regrets he had about his past. But because he cared for me, he was willing to talk to me honestly, saying, I don't know, Capel. All I know is we were told to drive by a house one day and shoot it up. I don't know if anyone was killed in it. I just don't know. As we shared bunk beds over that summer together, 
I learned that the Army was Keith's new lease on life. And he would go with me to chapel, most certainly confessing the sins of his past that he never wanted to return to ever again. You could not have put two more different people together. A white boy from the suburbs of Denver that never saw a lick of poverty unless he worked the soup kitchens downtown. And a black boy from the streets of Detroit that hadn't seen a lick of prosperity unless it drove by in a drug lord's Cadillac. One was a fighter, the other was a choir boy. One joined a gang, the other joined the Boy Scouts. One sold drugs, the other one sold coupon books and fruitcakes. But they loved each other because they helped each other far away from where they were from and knew that together they could make it in this challenging New world. You've been there. I know you have. You've been in situations where you said to yourself, man, we got to get out of this place. Was it a dark alley on a strange night and you could feel the hairs rising on the back of your neck? You couldn't see anything, but you knew it was time to get to a better lit area. Maybe it was a party that was going all wrong and you just knew that anyone who stayed any longer was going to regret being there the next day, especially when the police were knocking on the front door. Or maybe it was a company you worked at in free fall or a school you attended with trouble in the hallways or a neighborhood that just seemed to have more and more abandoned homes every year. We can all remember a time when we could sing that 1965 song along with the animals. We gotta get out of this place if it's the last thing that we ever do. We gotta get out of this place because girl, there's a better life for me and you. Yeah, Keith knew it. You knew it. And basically everyone knows it. Unless they don't. Do any of you know why Abram had to get out of Haran? Well, I can tell you with some certainty, he didn't. Ironically enough, even though he needed to get out of that place, he had to be told. He had to be commanded. He had to have an appearance of the Lord Almighty before he understood why he needed to get out of that place. Have you ever had that problem? You had no clue you were in a bad place and someone who loved you had to come and get you out? In the movie Good Morning Vietnam, Robin Williams played the role of an Air Force radio broadcaster when the Americans were at war with the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong. In one scene of the movie, his character is enjoying a moment of rest at a local cafe in Saigon. A peaceful day by all accounts. When a local boy he knows comes up to him in the cafe and urgently drags him from the place where he was sitting to discuss something down the block. As soon as he was safe distance from the cafe, a bomb went off, completely destroying it. And the boy disappeared at the same time. He didn't know he was in danger. But the boy knew a bomb was planted there and saved him from certain death. 
And even though the boy was a part of the Viet Cong that wanted the Americans out, he still loved Robin Williams' character enough to save him alone. Maybe you had too much to drink at that party and didn't know the trouble that was about to erupt and your sober friend grabbed you and dragged you out to the safety of their car and drove you home and put you to bed, making sure you were lying on your side when you fell asleep. Maybe you called a buddy on that dark street to let them know you were on the way and where you were, and they yelled at you, Are you crazy? Get over to 5th Street now! The gangs control everything up to 4th! Or maybe you were about to rent that house, buy that car, or move to that neighborhood, and someone who knew that neighborhood or was familiar with that car's previous owner or knew someone who rented the house before saved you from certain disaster because you didn't know. And they loved you enough to save you the endless headaches. This, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is Yahweh to Abram. Yahweh knew the dangers of Haran and appeared to him to save him. Joshua 24, verse 2, tells us why. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, that is Haran, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Almighty God knew the danger, even though Abram did it. And not only did Almighty God know the danger, he had something better. The eminent theologian Reed Lessing once said, When God is about to announce something big, he often begins with nothing. For example, out of nothing, God created the universe and everything in it. Out of one ark, with one coupling of each of the animals of God's creation, God recreated all living things after its utter destruction from the worldwide flood. After living in one land as a single people, speaking a single language, singularly rebelling against God, the Lord Almighty confused their language, making them spread all over the earth to subdue the entire post-flood world. And in today's account, the covenant promised that God's people would be as numerous as the sand granules of the sea and as prolific as the stars of the sky would come from a barren woman. Indeed, Reed was right. For God, something great does come from nothing. Like the king of the universe born in a horse trough for feeding barn animals, then mounted to a cross, murdered for being nothing more than a criminal, then rising from the dead, leaving that tomb empty for the greatest announcement ever made. Death could not hold him, and now death cannot 
hold you. The nothingness of the tomb is the everything of God's grace. In this season of Lent, you may be tempted to only confess your sins and like my dear friend Keith, look back in horror at what you have done. But let me remind you, God has removed you from the false gods of regret. God has brought you into the promised land and God has provided blessings in abundance for you to focus on. And that focus is on the future. We have in this season of Lent for the coming crucifixion of Christ, we will remember as that good day when all of our sins were taken away. And just as Abram erected that altar to remember his encounter with God, we have erected our altar where we will encounter God in communion again and again and again for our foretaste of the feast to come in the eternal land we have been promised from God. We got to get out of this place. If it's the last thing that we'll ever do, a better place is waiting. For me and for you. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.